0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Planet Pantry podcast, a show about the pantry staples that people around the world reach for every day to make the foods they love. This week, I was supposed to be doing an episode on teff, the grain responsible for injera, which is the ubiquitous flatbread of Eritrea and Ethiopia. But sadly, I've struggled to get all of the information together to build a narrative that I think does proper justice to this important pantry staple. I want to make sure that I pay proper respect to Tef and injera, so I'm moving that episode to next week, and instead, this week, we'll be focusing on something very different. This week, we're going to be looking at one of the world's favorite sweet treats. To some, it's breakfast, to others, it's dessert, but in its short history, it's taken the world by storm. This week, we're taking a look at the history of Nutella. It's been a little awkward exploring Nutella alongside TEF because these stories, which you would expect to have nothing to do with each other, are intertwined in a difficult way. While Nutella was being refined into the product that we know today, its home country of Italy was, for the second time, attempting a brutal invasion of Ethiopia. This is a complicated history that is more involved with TEF than it is with Nutella so we'll get into that next week, but Nutella, a luxury product to many today, is something born out of necessity and an attempt to squeeze as much joy out of a difficult time as possible. This is a tough thing to reckon with, talking about the suffering of the Italian people in World War II while also reading about the suffering brought on the people of Ethiopia by the Italians at the same time. I don't know if anyone will ever really understand why we get in the way of each other eating our favorite foods and spending time with our favorite people. I'm not going to try and explain it. We all just want to enjoy our lives, but people's ambitions get out of hand. We lose sight of what's good for all of humanity and not just our own little groups, and that gets in the way of people around the world eating the foods they love, listening to their favorite music, and spending time with their favorite people. And that's all most of us really want. I am not the person to explain why people do some of the things they do which get in the way of people living their lives. Beneath all the games of power, politics, and economics are people just trying to get by and enjoy their lives with the food and people they love. And they are the ones who often come up with things like injera and nutella. But food is and always has been political. We do have to reckon with this stuff as we explore the foods of the world, but that doesn't mean that everyone everywhere can't enjoy each other's food. In fact, I believe that to be a big part of the solution. It's just important to reflect on this stuff and to understand where things come from and what they mean to the people that gave them to us. But with all that in our minds, the story of Nutella is one of people trying to do what we really do best, enjoying food regardless of our circumstances. So grab some chocolate, some hazelnuts, and some bread, and let's get into it. In 2018, French supermarket chain Intel Marchier had a sale that reduced the price of Nutella from nearly 5 euros to less than 2 euros per pot. People were waiting by the doors hours before they opened, and when they did, a scene, usually reserved for Black Friday in the United States, erupted. People charged towards the Nutella, hands flew, the elderly were pushed aside, and riots erupted as people tried to get their hands on the famous hazelnut chocolate spread. The police eventually had to intervene and by the time the dust settled, videos were circulating around social media showing people who had temporarily abandoned their humanity to benefit from this 70% discount. Nutella has become a cult favorite around the world. Some people hate it, some people like it, and some people really, really love it. But where does it come from? The story actually begins in 1806 when the British blockaded the coasts of France and its allies in Europe, preventing trade and naval movement for the empire. Napoleon Bonaparte thought that he had a clever plan to combat this. He was under the impression that the British economy was absolutely dependent on trade with continental Europe, so he ordered all ports within France and its conquered or allied territories to halt trade with the British ships, and he threatened war with Russia if they didn't comply as well. This was a problem for the people of Turin in Italy, not because they were concerned with the glory of empire or with the long-term economic impact of such warfare, but because this interrupted their supply of chocolate. Chocolate is native to South and Central America, and the British dominated trade in that region at the time. So without them, the continent's chocolate supplies began to dwindle. So in order to stretch chocolate supplies, confectioners in Italy mixed some of the chocolate that they had with hazelnuts to make a paste called Gianduia. Of course, Napoleon's plan backfired. Britain simply expanded its international trade to make up for the deficit in European trade and even established significant smuggling operations with a good amount of success. Portugal, who was allied with Britain, and Russia, who just didn't care about Napoleon's threat, frequently subverted the order and continued to trade with England. Napoleon did follow through with his promise to invade Russia in retaliation, but many of us know how that turned out. I like this story because it shows Napoleon playing with the high-stakes game of conquest and empire and meanwhile people within his borders are just trying to figure out new ways to enjoy food, and when it comes down to it, that's what really matters. Today, the French Empire is no more, but Nutella is a cultural force. After the blockade ended and trade resumed as normal, chocolate habits pretty much went back to the same as they were before, and Gianduja remained culturally relevant, but it was far from the universally loved treat that it is today. But that would change when these events effectively repeated themselves in the Second World War. During the war, many supplies were limited and the price of chocolate skyrocketed once again. Enter Michele Ferrero. Michele's father, Pietro Ferrero, brought Giandulia back from its relative obscurity during the war for the same reasons that it was invented. He mixed chopped hazelnuts and chocolate to make a thick, heavy loaf which could be sliced into thin pieces for sale. This was a pretty far cry from what we know as Nutella today. It was sold in pats, kinda like how you get butter at a hotel. It was dense and heavy, but Pietro and his son worked on the recipe over years, eventually creating a thinner version somewhat closer to what we're familiar with in a form that they called Super Crema, or Pasta gianduia. But it was in 1949, after his father had passed away and after the war had ended, that Michele had his breakthrough. He added varying amounts of vegetable oil to the Super Crema, emulsifying it into a paste until it was eventually thin enough to be spread easily, but not so thin that it would drip. This was a big deal. Even before war times, chocolate was pretty expensive, and mostly seen as a treat for special occasions. But by watering it down with the accessible hazelnuts and vegetable oil, it was cheap enough that people could eat it pretty much every day. Less than 10 years later, by the late 1950s, there were over a thousand trucks driving across Italy to keep bakeries and cafes stocked. And in 1964, Michele named his product Nutella and introduced the classic glass jars. But that is far from the end of this story. Michele Ferrero was famously secretive and modest. People often called him a genius, but he would reply that they were correct. His middle name was indeed Eugenio, but he would rather go by Michele. This modest genius would go on to become the richest man in Italy and one of the richest men in the world before his passing at the age of 89 in 2015. We'll continue his amazing story and that of his most famous product right after this. It's one thing to make something amazing. People make great condiments, snacks, and foods every day, but not all of them reach the same success that Nutella has, and Nutella took some time to get there. When Ferrero changed the name to Nutella in 1964, they also introduced the iconic logo with the black N and the red U-T-E-L-L-A, as well as the iconic glass jar. That branding has become a global icon and Nutella isn't even the single success of Ferrero. In the early years, Michele had a deal with bakeries in his area that any child could come into their shops with a slice of bread and get a free or very cheap spread of Nutella. This warm and familiar association has been key to the success of a great many brands from Coca-Cola to McDonald's. This provides Nutella with a kind of intangible value, something that value investors consider heavily. In the very analytical and very mathematical world of economics, and where decisions are weighted heavily against financial responsibility to other people, brand value is something of an anomaly. And it's often been key to the success of value investors like Warren Buffett, although the tangible economic factors do still need to be considered just as much as in any other school. In the aftermath of the financial crisis of 1987, many companies were hurting, and Coca-Cola was among them. But Buffett recognized that Coca-Cola was safe, at least in part, because of the worldwide brand recognition afforded by its name. So it's safer to assume that Coca-Cola will rebound from a harsh dip in value because it is a cultural institution. This follows the concept of investing in great companies at a good price rather than bad companies at an amazing price. Many of the pantry staples that I've talked about on this podcast have their roots very far back in history, and many are still adapting to our new global food world. Nutella, on the other hand, grew up with globalization and was well aware of the need to grow on an international scale. They were very careful moving into new markets, specific campaigns were designed, and test runs performed in every new country which they planned to sell Nutella. Despite a very corporate view, when it came to growth, Michele Ferrero seemed to do a pretty good job of separating that side of things from what genuinely seemed to be his primary motivator, joy. Ferrero spoke of the two women which drove his business. The first, in true Catholic Italian fashion, was the Virgin Mother Mary. He was fervently religious, and a statue of the Mother Mary stood at the entrance to all of his offices and factories around the world. He also made the pilgrimage to Lourdes every year and arranged for any of his employees who wanted to go as well. The other woman who drove his work was a fictional character who he called La Valeria. La Valeria was the embodiment of every mother, grandmother, and aunt who wanted to give a treat to the children in her life and he wanted to be the one making those treats. And it was this motivation that inspired his other line of sweets, Kinder Chocolates. That's right, Michele Ferrero was also behind the ubiquitous line of treats sold under the Kinder name around the world, and their mix of milk and white chocolate was designed specifically to appeal to La Valeria. And I can say firsthand that the Valerias in my life were exactly the people to buy Kinder products. Growing up, there wasn't much I wouldn't do if I knew that I would be rewarded with a kinder surprise. And there were certain family and friends whose visits I would get extra excited about because I knew they'd be bringing me one of those amazing treats with the fun little plastic toy inside. Many are probably aware of this piece of trivia, but these childhood favorites are actually illegal here in the United States. There's a law here preventing people from putting anything inedible inside something that's edible. A notable exception is the fortune cookie, but that's because the paper inside fortune cookies is deemed non-damaging. But recently, Kinder has found a way around this and they released a plastic egg, which opens into two halves, one with a white chocolate kind of pudding and the other with a toy. But I still treat myself to the original any time I'm out of the country. It's common for big confections companies to have big brands under their belt but many of those are the result of endless acquisition. We've all seen these charts online of the big conglomerates like Nestle, Mondelez International, and Pepsi, who own an inordinate amount of brands, often having nothing to do with each other. But until recently, and things have changed for Ferrero recently, everything that was under their belt, they had started. Among the other products created under the supervision of Michele Ferrero himself are Moncherie, chocolate liquor cherries, Tic Tacs, and of course Ferrero Rocher, the iconic gold-wrapped bonbons so good that they sport the name of their creator. Michele was very proud of the Rocher, and it's said that he and his team spent five years figuring out how to form the wafer layer. Ferrero refused to have his company listed on a stock exchange and this allowed him to operate with little outside pressure. When a company goes public or when it takes on a serious amount of investment, it has a financial responsibility to its investors and the well-being of the company is tied to making those investors happy. If he had taken on that fiduciary responsibility, he might have succumbed to pressure to enter the American market too early, rather than waiting and calculating a strategy around their main competitor in the states, peanut butter. And I might have grown up without the Kinder Eggs because he might have been forced to listen to those who told him that eggs are too closely associated with Easter, rather than listening to his own belief that every day should feel like Easter. You don't become the richest man in Italy or one of the largest food companies in the world by operating solely on the pursuit of joy. Ferrero the company was not without its controversies and at his core Michele Ferrero was a businessman. And many of those original principles which led to the success of Nutella and the creation of Kinder have faded since his death when his son Giovanni took over. Ferrero was supposed to have a profitability of 10% of sales, which is great, but despite this, Giovanni was worried that the family business wouldn't be able to compete with the other conglomerates like Nestle or Mondelez International. So since his rise, Ferrero has bought up several large companies including Ferrera and Keebler. This puts iconic brands like Crunch, Butterfinger, O'Henry, Laffy Taffy, and many more under their umbrella. And you know that tin of Danish butter cookies that your grandma keeps her sewing stuff in? That's also theirs now. But despite where things are headed for Ferrero now, Michele Ferrero had an amazing life and brought joy to millions. Again, you don't get as big as he was without doing some sketchy stuff, or at least turning a blind eye to sketchy stuff that your company is doing. But it's nice every once in a while to come across someone like Michele Ferrero, or Momofuku Ando, who at very least aren't motivated solely by profit or power, but by bringing joy to people who need it. Does this intention excuse the effects that this company has had on children picking hazelnuts in turkey, or the untold damage done by the overcultivation of palm for the oil in Nutella, and so many other products? I don't know, probably not, but can we really hold this man who wanted to bring joy to people through his food fully accountable? Can we even hold his company and the people making these decisions within it fully accountable? And should we hold ourselves accountable for buying these products despite knowing the effects that they have on the world? Honestly, I don't know. I'm just learning about this stuff myself. It seems like we all have some level of responsibility, but I have no idea how to solve the problems with our food systems. I don't think anyone does, but I think something fundamental needs to change at all levels of this equation, from Michele Ferrero, to the people working for him, to us as consumers. But by knowing how this stuff works and just by thinking about it, maybe we can make slightly better choices while still enjoying our modern world and all the benefits that it provides. But enough about corporate history and responsibility, let's get back to Nutella right after this. So about a full quarter of the world's hazelnut production goes to Nutella. A jar is sold every 2.5 seconds on average, and that translates to about 350,000 tons of Nutella being produced annually. It really is a phenomenon, thanks in large part to the Ferrero company's marketing. One thing that really brought Nutella into the mainstream around the world was its advertised potential as a staple of a good breakfast. This piggybacks on an interesting debate over the past few years between people who enjoy a sweet breakfast and those who enjoy a savory meal in the mornings. This is kind of controversial, but there doesn't seem to be much justification for a sweet breakfast. We, especially in North America and Western Europe, have really embraced the sweet breakfast over time, and this is in large part thanks to successful advertising campaigns by companies like Nutella. Journalist Johnny Harris has a good piece about this on YouTube and I encourage anyone who's curious about this debate to go check it out. Nutella has been, and often still is, marketed as part of a well-balanced breakfast. You can find many ads online featuring a happy family around their breakfast table with fruit, milk, juice, coffee, and of course, some bread with Nutella smeared on it. But the reality is that it wouldn't be too much different to replace that jar Nutella with a jar of Betty Crocker's milk chocolate cake frosting. Sugar is by far the most prominent ingredient in Nutella, making up over 50% of the total volume of the stuff. Two tablespoons or around 35 grams of Nutella contains 21 grams of sugar, while the same amount of Betty Crocker cake frosting has about 17 grams of sugar. Now, sugar isn't the only way to judge something like this. There is absolutely some amount of nutrition to be squeezed out of the 50 or so hazelnuts in each jar. And Nutella smeared on a slice of hearty whole wheat toast is definitely better than frosting smeared on a cake. But it's still a pretty far stretch to say that it can sit at the center of a healthy meal by any definition. There's a lot of advertising psychology that determines how we perceive our foods, especially in big brand products like Nutella. And honestly, the breakfast campaigns are pretty shisty, so this is an example of a time where we need to do our due diligence to make sure that we're not being fooled into eating something for the wrong reasons. But that said, although Nutella may not have a place at breakfast tables of the world, it is an amazing tool in pastry shops, dessert kitchens, and snack stalls all over. Think of it as a chocolate ganache that never splits. It's about as versatile and can be used anywhere that you want some chocolate but with that distinct Nutella flavor. You can frost cakes with it, or use it as a base for more intricate frostings like any of the classic buttercreams. You can mix it into coffee drinks, hot chocolate, or smoothies. You can bake it into pastries, fill crepes with it, or dip fruit into it. There are few things that offer as much versatility as Nutella in a single package, and that's why it has a place in so many pantries around the world. If you keep a jar around, you can call on it any to bring a little something extra to anything from brownies to a slice of toast. You could even slake your sweet tooth with a straight spoonful of the stuff. But if you do want to make gianduilla at home, there's plenty you can do to make it more to your taste. I'll link a recipe in the show notes, but I encourage anyone who enjoys the stuff to try adjusting the recipe to find the ratios that work best to their tastes. It's really just a matter of melting some chocolate pureeing some hazelnuts, and incorporating it with sugar, oil, and maybe some cream. But you can absolutely adjust the amounts of sugar in the recipe, the fat you choose to use, the chocolate, the amount of hazelnuts, whether you choose to roast them and to what degree, and so much more. This will yield you something that works best for your favorite applications, and you could even make something that's a little more friendly to a balanced breakfast. It's really amazing to learn about the history of this nearly ubiquitous spread and I don't feel like I even need to list off its many uses because it seems like it's hard to even avoid seeing them every single day. And if you aren't familiar, anywhere that you find smooth, spreadable, soft chocolate, Nutella can be used in its place. And let's not forget that Nutella is itself defined by two other pantry staples. We'll get to hazelnuts themselves someday because they have such a wide variety of uses in both sweet and savory applications and of course chocolate is one of the most beloved ingredients in the world and it has its own amazing story. But next week we're gonna go deep into the wonderful world of Tef and injera. I had to put that episode off by a week to give myself time to do some proper research on the stuff so if anyone out there has some good resources on teff, specifically on its history or if you can put me in touch with someone who knows about that, I would really appreciate it. But in the meantime, I encourage you all to check out the Patreon through the link in the show notes. My struggles with Tef are a perfect example of why I want to build up Patreon and Discord. I know I'm not the only one out there curious about the ingredients of the world and their origins, so I would love to have a place where we could all discuss these topics. And as always, if you have any notes, corrections, or ideas for future episodes, please feel free to reach out to me through the info in the show notes. I hope you all learned something interesting about the origins of one of the world's favorite spreads today and that you come back next week to learn about Tef.